and this is Global Position. Now for today's top headlines. Months after the initial worldwide outbreak, national and local governments are beginning to suppress the necroambulist virus epidemic. The Department of Agriculture has found no solution for infected dying crops. Agricultural officials are encouraging farmers to burn their crops in a desperate attempt to destroy what may be preventing growth. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a weekly show that's released every Friday, and this is episode 5656. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-host tonight is... Dr. Walking Dead, broadcasting from Cedar City, Utah. Welcome, sir. It's good to be here, talking some zombies tonight. Yes, sir. Your speciality, right? That's right. (laughs) I am loving this summer. I have to say, I, I miss the Wolfman, Josh Legary, who is in Columbia somewhere. He was going to try to make it. And honestly, listeners, I have no idea what's going on. He said he was still trying to get settled. So, miss him. And then Dr. Shock is very tired. He has to get up super early, and he actually wasn't able to stay awake long enough tonight. And so I told him, definitely get some rest and don't worry about this. But I am enjoying so much having my good friend Kyle here, who's available to podcast more with us through the summer. So this is my favorite time of year for Horror Movie Podcast. Woohoo! So real quick, Kyle, I have uh, three very fast things I want to talk to you about before we jump in. And for the listeners, just so they know, we're going to be tonight, our agenda is to review Maggie, which is the Arnold Schwarzenegger zombie flick, kind of. And then we're all... (laughs) We're also going to be, um, this is something I've been looking forward to for months. Dr. Walking Dead is going to bring you the state of the zombie address, which I can't wait for that. But real fast, um, I'm sure you heard, Kyle, that uh, we lost Betsy Palmer last Friday. And I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts about that. Well, it's it's too bad. Obviously, people get old and and they pass on. But she was such an iconic figure of that that seventies era horror film. Uh, one of the one of the figures that the the kind of casual horror fanatic. <laughs> I guess that's contradiction. Uh, the casual horror <laughs> viewer would kind of disregard her or, or miss her mm-hmm. because she was she was kind of a, a behind the scenes character and and kind of a. Uh, a twist ending to Friday the 13th. So, but for those uh, big fans of the series and the genre, it's kind of a major figure, uh, especially in from the seventies when the serial killers and the monsters were almost always male. She really was kind of a groundbreaker in, in that regard. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I know that we covered Friday the 13th ad nauseum just a couple months ago, but I just want to say once again, I think a lot of people look at that franchise and a lot of people say, you know, Jason is the heart of it. But honestly, to me, she is the heart of it. Uh, She is the, her character is the reason why that first film works so well for me. So 
Anyway, I was sad to hear that. I guess she died of natural causes and so forth, but she will be missed. And we have a little tribute to her up on our website at horrormoviepodcast.com in the header. So if you haven't seen that yet, check it out. It makes me a little bit, um, you know, sentimental when I see that picture. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, the other thing I want to talk to you about, Kyle, is uh, Bill Shetty on his show, Horror on the Go. On June 1st, we just released an episode. It's only like 35 minutes long, and it's called Horror Genre Classification with Jay of the Dead. <laughs> so he and I fight about what is horror these days and we're actually going to be talking a little bit more about that um during our maggie discussion but so for listeners who haven't seen or heard that discussion i think it's worth your time and it's always funny to hear bill shetty fight with me because <laughs> i i exasperate him i think kyle <laughs> like, i think that's awesome <laughs> and then i i gotta give a big shout out and i know you saw this too in episode 55, which is our Poltergeist episode, a uh, listener named Scott, he left a comment that was just, it blew me away. I was astounded and honestly speechless for a minute um, regarding the first Poltergeist, the, the film where the bird dies. He says, the dead bird, Carol Ann's bird, Tweety. I remember one of my older uncles telling me that the dead bird is similar to when miners would send a canary down into mines to see if there was methane or carbon monoxide, and the dead bird is telling the family that the area isn't safe. It's brilliant. <laughs> I love, I love that. Yeah, because my, you know, I come from West Virginia. I come from. I have several coal miners in my family, in fact, and I had heard about the bird thing before, but it never even occurred to me, and I just think that's just remarkable so thank you scott and i just also want to mention that to people because i hope that people who haven't checked out the comment boards at horror movie podcast we have an incredible community there of people who really contribute some impressive insight and they seriously add to the show they supplement where we lack for sure so anyways thank you all for commenting on that Finally, it's time to move into our feature review of Maggie from 2015. Dad, you've protected me all my life. Now it's my turn to protect you. There is life with you, not with me. Safe, I'm fine. Mr. Vogel, I would normally release someone with this type of infection. Dad! I need you to follow the rules here. The quarantine is eight weeks in. She's probably gonna show more signs of aggression and hunger. Say your goodbyes and get her straight through quarantine. Okay, Kyle, the first thing I want to ask you about Maggie, (laughs) and I really want to get your theory on this because you're a super smart guy. This has been billed, I mean, some people are calling this the Arnold Schwarzenegger zombie movie, but when when you put all those things together, 
Like you, you get a certain picture, right? Yeah. You think of Arnold Schwarzenegger with his yeah. big muscles, like yeah. killing suckers that are already undead. Anyway, this is not that at all, <laughs> right? And, and so yes. maybe he does, he does kill zombies. <laughs> Technically, yeah. a, a little bit. Yeah, that's true. But you are correct. It is not exactly what you would probably expect from the packaging. Yes, and, and for that reason, um, I mean, this is that's the best answer I have. Why? Why do, does an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle, presumably, how does that just quietly get released, just behind the scenes? Where nobody really <laughs> knows it comes out. I mean, that thing, I thought that was going to be in theaters this summer. Yeah. Well, clearly, there was some bad test audience work. Uh, there was an abandonment by the studio. I, it, it, there's probably lots of things going on behind the, the, behind the scenes, but this is not a cast to sneeze at. Uh, you've got Schwarzenegger, obviously, but you've got Abigail Breslin as, as Maggie. Um, and she can, she's gotten to the point now where she can carry a film herself. And, uh, even the, the Schwarzenegger's wife is Jolie Richardson, who mm-hmm. is, you know, she's not an A-list actress, but she's Vanessa Redgrave's daughter, uh, has had a pretty successful career. So it's, it's kind of set up to be a, a major film, but where it isn't the A-list is, uh, on the director and writer side. Mm-hmm. And I think that could contribute to it. I also think that somebody at some point maybe realized they were mismarketing it and they were going to have some pretty massive backlash from the community. So they kind of went a different direction with it. Right. Yeah. But, but this is all supposition. But it is Lionsgate, which is not, you know, it's not the main blockbuster it's it's a, it's part of 20th century fox isn't it uh but it's the it's the more independent studio side right but also lionsgate is just um you know well known for putting out tons and tons of horror stuff that's too. true it's I'm also just trying to i'm trying to figure out if that just means that they never had really intended to do it as a wide release or if this was some kind of last minute whoops well, this gets into what I wanted to talk to you about, because just a few weeks ago, uh, Wolfman Josh and I reviewed a film called Spring, and Spring is very much like Maggie. And, you know, Spring was being touted and hailed by um, a lot of critics, and not just horror critics, but mainstream film critics as like the horror film of the year, or one of the horror films of the year. And it's a it's a great little drama like Maggie here. And and that's the first thing I guess I want to tell listeners out there, just so you know. Usually, when you think of a zombie film, it's like an action horror type of film. There's a lot of killing. There's a lot of guts and gore and stuff. And I'm sure Kyle <laughs> has a lot to say about that. But whereas this, I would call this, instead of an action zombie horror film, this is like a drama yeah. zombie film <laughs> and like seriously because usually i do this genre classification thing where i try to break it up into like three things that it is and it's primarily drama first drama second <laughs> with zombie elements usually i say horror elements this has zombie elements <laughs> so i don't know i mean i but it is a i think it's a really well-made film though it is 
Yeah, Internet Movie Database as it listed as drama, horror, thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would probably say drama, thriller, horror, because you're right. The, the horror is a little minimized, um, but it is present. And and this is an issue that comes up with World War Z and and warm bodies. It's PG thirteen, mm-hmm. uh, so that automatically is going to curtail the horror, uh, the the kind of the blood and guts and gore and all that kind of stuff. So you already know that it's going to be a little tamer. Yes. Um, the thing that's remarkable to me, and why why you're correct in double designating it drama, is it's. It's uh, about characters and, and people and, and act, acting. There's not a lot of action. Right. Uh, it, it's a very quiet movie and not a lot really, really happens. There are two or three sequences that are a little bit more in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, this is kind of a challenging film to classify. It really is. And, and if, I, if I could only stick it, and I wonder what you'd say about this. Back in the day when you had the video stores, this is some Bill Shetty and I talked about recently, and you could only stick it under one heading in the video store, one category, wherever you put it. And for me, I mean, this would have to be drama. Yeah, I would agree, but I think that most video store owners would stick it in horror, and then people would come back the next day going, what the hell was that? (laughs) Well, and that's the problem, Kyle, because... If they stuck it in drama, people would still come back the next day and say, what the hell was that? Are you kidding me? Uh, Yeah, I mean, because it would bug people who just strictly wanted like, you know, uh, Bridges Over Madison County or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's a family drama, Mm -hmm. which is really pretty important. And, And somebody on Internet Movie Database called it like Fault of Our Stars but with zombie. <laughs> I mean, it is, it does belong to this kind of specific drama, which is family that's kind of tormented by illness. Wow. So that does exist. Right. And so it's just a variation on that, that illness instead of cancer, Maggie has zombie. Wow. I, I am very impressed with whoever said that. Yeah. Cause I, I would have said like, you know, it's not as sophisticated as the Bergman film, but it's kind of like cries and whispers. But instead of having cancer, you know, right. she she's infected. Uh, but yeah, I wrote in my notes, small, quiet family drama. But but Kyle, here's something. Yep. I really want to I want to see what you think about this. Part of me, because Maggie, the, the girl, the Abigail Breslin character, she's contaminated. Do you get that joke from Signs? Yeah. yeah, she played Bo, and she said the water was contaminated. Anyway, I thought people would think that was funny, but anyway. Well, we actually, uh, my wife and I were watching it, and we we thought maybe it's the exact same house from Signs. I mean, obviously, it's not, but there's so many similarities with the location and the house and the family yeah. and kind of her place in the family. It is this weird kind of parallel, and the fact that she was in Zombieland too just makes it even weirder that is weird i never even thought about that but um what i was gonna ask you is she's you know she's a little bit bitter ish she's kind of an angsty teenager and i just wondered if this is really not about zombies if it's just a metaphor for having a teenager right (laughs) well the zombies are metaphors uh they're, they're great metaphors they can be anything they need to be 
and yeah, I mean, you do get that sense of I don't I don't think it's just teenagers. Okay. Because not all teenagers are terminally ill. But I do think you're right that it draws attention to the the kind of I'm a teenager, I'm gonna run away from home, I'm gonna disobey my parents, I'm gonna fight with my stepmom. I mean, a lot of the things you would expect from a, a teen angst drama film are in this thing. Mm-hmm. And and the the infection uh kind of puts those things in starker relief. Yeah. But it really is that focus on the, okay, now that someone in the family is dying, does it change the perspective? Does it change the relationships? How do we deal with regret? How do we move forward? Nice. But yeah, I I read her very much as this kind of teen angst thing where you may get this idea of teenagers who think they're going to die. And here you have someone who knows she's going to die. Yeah. Uh, So it's operating on some different levels. It sure is, yeah, and and so I do think it has some degree of sophistication that way. But yeah, just to be clear, then for the 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 hardcore horror fans out there, I mean, if you were impatient with The Walking Dead, you know, as it has gone along, and because you hear a lot of people complain that that's a lot of drama and very little zombie attacks and stuff. I mean, that's what people say. I I personally love The Walking Dead, but I think this is even farther that direction where it's you know more just dramatic than that so i just yeah just want to give people the warning out there so they know exactly what to expect but let's talk about kind of the premise then um kyle what do you this virus uh, this is the best name for a zombie virus i've ever heard in any film it's the necroambulist virus yeah it's a great name Walking rot, basically. <laughs> yes, that is brilliant. And 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 so, what stage, Kyle? I mean, I have my thoughts on this too, but I, I it always sounds better when you say it. What stage of the zombie epidemic do, is this film set in? Well, see, this is what makes it kind of an interesting film t- to me. Because on the one hand, um, when they when the victims lose their agency and become kind of full zombie. They definitely recall the Romero style. They're slow moving. They shuffle along. They grunt and groan. They, they even kind of outreach their arms. Mm-hmm. But they're more the Danny Boyle version, which are people who have been infected and they're not the raised dead. They're scientifically plausible. They're biological. Um, so, so it's this interesting thing. We've had dead and slow We've had biological and fast. We've had dead and fast, but we haven't really had biological and slow (laughs) for whatever that is. And uh, the biological nature of it is going to turn some horror fans off. But I think that because it is couched in these super scientific terms, this this, uh, necro... (laughs) What is it again? Necro... Necroambulist. Ambulist. Yeah, necroambulist. Uh, it's a pretty plausible infection, and the behavior of the characters is pretty plausible. Yes. The way the way I read the film as as the, where we stand in the epidemic, it's clearly not at the outbreak stage because protocols are in place. Uh, people are somewhat casual about it. Yes. Um, so there is a familiarity. Uh, it looks like we're relatively post-apocalyptic in that. Powers down, the infrastructure's shaky. 
So I think it's it's to me it, it reads more like the end game where they've kind of got it contained and they're not super paranoid about it spreading and you don't see lots of infected people roaming the countryside. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's kind of that nearing the end of things, which which makes sense because kind of the tone of the film is one of exhaustion. Oh yeah. Kind of like, oh, yeah. all right, let's let's just wrap this up. <laughs> you know what? You nailed that exactly. What Kyle just said there, everybody, is it is right on the money. There is a sense of just like of being spent and exhausted. Yeah, yeah there's a real tiredness to this film. He's just worn out. That's amazing. Well, and that's the other weird parallel because the film if I understood it correctly with the exposition, it was a, it's a, it's an infection or a disease that is linked to the decimation of crops. So there's something that, that was maybe in the plants first and then transferred over to humans. But again, weird parallels to another recent film, which is, um, uh, interstellar. Mm. So a very, again, a very similar house, uh, there's the crops have died. He burns the crops at one point. I mean, so at th- the beginning of the film, I kind of thought, wait, haven't I seen this movie? Didn't I recently <laughs> see this movie? You're like, where's Matthew McConaughey and when's he going to take off his shirt? Yeah. But again, a similar tone, a tone of, uh, we're near the end of this thing. We've kind of almost given up. We're all very, very tired. Uh, nature is proving more resilient and powerful than humanity. And we just have to kind of decide, are we going to stick it out? Or are we going to give up? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that, I think this film, I think Maggie has more in common with Interstellar, especially the first act, uh, than it does with Signs, which is a much more effective horror film, by the way. But there is kind of this this link that groups those films together visually and also tonally. Neat. And I don't know what, but I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think of Interstellar, but you are exactly right about that. That's super cool. Now with the crops thing, now here, because, and I guess I should say this real quick up front for the listeners. This is a brand new film. And so we want you to know, we're not going to give any major plot spoilers in this part of our discussion. We will talk about the ending later, but we'll give a big spoiler warning. So, um, there's not a lot to this film, to be honest with you. So, I mean, I guess you could not listen to the review at all until you've seen the film, but we're not going to give anything that we deem as a major spoiler until we give you the big warning. Now, with the the crops thing, yeah, that one one thing that they're, I guess, recommended to do is to burn the crops. And I was like, okay, why are they burning the fields? And there's this really interesting imagery of that. And I like the the look of it in the film, the way that's handled. And then I thought, I wonder if this has something to do with um, the pesticides and, and the things that are supposedly, you know, poisoning our food. We hear a lot about this. There are tons of documentaries about this. I wonder if there's some kind of suggestion in this film that's maybe a little bit more subtle that... Yeah, we've finally done it to ourselves. The the um, insecticides and the pesticides that we're putting on our crops is what's going to wipe us out. Well, yeah, and, and that's entirely plausible because there is um, the the grapes of death, which is uh, one of the first eco zombie films where the zombies do result from uh, an experimental pesticide being used on 
vineyards in Italy or something. <laughs> I haven't seen it in years. It's really bizarre, but uh, worth checking out. Nice. The Grapes I'm, of Death. I, th- I think the English title is The Grapes of Death. Um, pretty, pretty good film, all things considered. <laughs> but you are correct. This is, this is an eco-zombie film. Uh, we don't have all the explanation for that which I prefer. Uh, I'd rather not know exactly what's going on. Right. Um, but yeah, it is this kind of the crops are first and then us, you know, kill the bees and then the humans will follow, uh, which, which means it has more in common with Shyamalan's other movie, The Happening, uh, than it does with Signs. But there definitely is some of that going on. And I hope the listeners out there won't hold that against it because <laughs> what you said is is true about The Happening, but, you know, people hate that film, so... I just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> well, there's there's some reasons to hate that film, but uh, they may be similar reasons to why people would not like this film. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's part of why I'm throwing it out there. Good point. Uh, which is kind of a weird irony that Shyamalan finally went from a PG-13 to an R, and it kind of killed his career, uh, whereas this film almost has the opposite problem. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, let's... So let's talk about these zombies in this. If um, now, now well, do you... let's try to nail them down because okay. uh, everybody loves to argue what is, what isn't. There's a raging uh, fight going on Internet Movie Database about whether this even should be called a zombie movie. If it's false advertising, you know what is a zombie, what isn't a zombie. So I'll turn it on you. Do you think these are zombies? Hmm. Well. <laughs> strictly by the definition of zombie if you're if you're going by the definition of living dead you know reanimated corpse then technically no and they are infected and i have come from talking to you i will confess kyle from talking to you i have come to uh, grips with the fact that there are in fact infected monsters and there are in fact like zombie monsters right and there are two different groups so technically i mean it feels like a zombie flick and all that jazz but technically they are not reanimated corpses and technically they are infected what do you say uh you are correct um i do not think all zombies have to be reanimated dead though oh okay because if you go to if you go pre romero Oh yeah, voodoo. Yeah, yeah. The original zombies weren't necessarily the raised dead. They could be mesmerized or enchanted or something. Uh, but I think, and and this is the big thing that I hold to, because I I get bogged down in alive and dead or fast or slow and all that kind of stuff. To me, zombie is lack of agency, lack of consciousness, lack of higher brain function. So one of the things that I think this film does that is very interesting is make the transformation so drawn out. Uh, so when the infection fully manifests, I think we're talking about zombies. I think we're Mm. talking about necrotic, which is close enough to, to dead, uh, who have lost their control, lost their ability to make choices, who turn on their friends and family, who eat human flesh, uh, who bite people, who infect people. So to me, it, it's probably like yeah, nine out of 10 of the criteria for a zombie film. Mm. So I am going to officially come out and say, 
Maggie is a zombie movie. Oh man, I'm always on the wrong side of the fence. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got to show a difference of opinion, and there's only two of us. So yeah, that's right. Or it'd be super, super boring. But um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, I respect it. You know, I do. I respect everything you say about that. Well, okay. So how about this? The fact that they say they call it the turn in this movie yeah. like when they change when they finally do and i love it that the change takes so long now it of course as in all zombie type movies <laughs> it can vary with some people right. but but it doesn't seem to be any snap of the fingers changing here like 28 days later or anything right 20 days later in world war z are probably the fastest transformations mm-hmm. uh where it's just like boom and you become something you're not that uh, limit storytelling possibilities because uh, if you're going to stick with a zombie that doesn't talk and, and think and act consciously, how do you let the zombie tell its story? Well, you have to tell the story of the transformation instead of the monster itself. And so what this film does seriously, very seriously, is kind of what uh, Return of the Living Dead did, which was allow characters to narrate the transformation process mm. and to allow the audience to then kind of feel a, a, a deep sense of sympathy and compassion for those who were becoming zombies instead of just immediately turning violent against them. Oh, yeah. And so that to me gives this film some merit is that it, it does something that a lot of zombie narratives nowadays are doing, are not doing or doing what I would say incorrectly, which is humanizing the zombie and, and letting the audience really kind of feel for the zombie in a way that kind of makes sense. So weirdly. you're okay with that if they do it well? I'm okay with how Maggie does it because uh, one thing we didn't talk about when we were throwing genres around, um, Maggie's sci-fi. Uh, it is plausible sci-fi. But it is this idea of, of a long, drawn-out, infectious transformation, which in a way is far more interesting than what we've seen before, because what we've seen before, we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Walking Dead toyed with this, uh, especially in that first season, which I still think is the best season, uh, when Jim gradually begins to transform and is cogent enough near the end that he gets to make his own decision about how he's going to die and what's going to happen to him. And that's some of the most emotionally powerful stuff from that series. But of course, they didn't invent it either. It goes back to Romero's Dawn of the Dead, where you get uh, Roger's pretty drawn-out transformation and infection, where, where he actually gets to be part of it, and we get to be part of it. Yeah. So, so there is a precedence. But I've never seen somebody... <laughs> ambitious enough or daring enough to say, let's make the transformation be the film. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not a plot point to a larger narrative. It is the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if it's not clear then to the listeners, I mean, the, the premise of this, the basic gist is that um, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a father and uh, his eldest daughter is already bitten. As the film opens, she already has been bitten and infected. Yeah, we don't even get that. <laughs> we don't. Yeah, now, they do show flashbacks every once in a while where she seems to be troubled by the experience, right? You know, she'll have yeah. nightmares about it. But, um, yeah, so from the outset, his child, and let's underscore that, his child is already 
infected. So, I mean, that puts a real heavy bleakness to this movie. And we're not going to talk about the ending right now, but I'm just saying the way this film is structured, it's set up. It's like (laughs) the train is running down the track and you know that the end of the track, there's going to be something disastrous because only a few different scenarios can happen and none of them are good. (laughs) Right. And the film goes so far as to enumerate them for the audience. (laughs) Right. They literally say, well, here's your three options. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So so we know, we know from the middle point of the movie that the movie is going to go in one of three directions because they tell us that, but, but so many zombie movies are about preventing people from getting infected or turning this film never even has that option on the table. Yeah. And so that's what I think is is interesting. And and it's it turns the zombie into something other than just cannon fodder. Right. Which I think is uh it's too easy. I think a lot of zombie narrative designers and creators get a little lazy and it's just let's see how many zombies we can destroy. And this film really asks, yeah, but but who are the zombies? Who yeah. are these people you want to so callously destroy? And the zombies that are terminated in Maggie are done so in a way that's not gratuitous or celebratory. When when uh, Wade, Schwarzenegger's character, when Wade does get into the fray and, and put some zombies down, you're not cheering. You're not going, yeah, kill them, woo! Yeah, not Instead, at all. Instead, you, you feel kind of depressed. Yeah, it's super, it's a super sad movie. And that sounds so funny to say on a horror podcast. I'm really sad he's killing zombies. But like, <laughs> but trust us, when you see the way it's done, I mean, it's done with a heavy heart. <laughs> well, and it is horror. And I, and, um, you know, how do you define horror? Well, it's horrific. Yeah, it is horrific and it's, and it is menacing and it is, it is terrifying, but it's, it's sad and horror can be sad. Um, when it plays around with those different emotions. Oh yeah. I, 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 it was kind of a weird coincidence. I met a, uh, we had a delegate from Canterbury Christ church university at, at Southern Utah university this week. And, uh, we were talking about study abroad exchanges and all kind of boring stuff like that. But, but she knew about my book. And so she wanted to talk about zombies a little bit. And she said that one of the things she doesn't like about the walking dead now is that, there's just a callous disregard for the people the zombies used to be. Mm. And the series has become very, very violent in just try let's come up with as many different ways as possible to brutally slaughter these creatures. Um, and that kind of bothered her kind of post-colonial sensibilities, this idea that we're othering the monsters and we're just treating them very dismissively. Well, it was that evening that I watched Maggie. <laughs> and it was kind of like, holy crap, this movie is doing exactly what that woman wants to see happen. Yeah. Uh, is no, let's slow down and let's, let's, let's give some heart and soul to these creatures and let's have the audience feel a different emotional response. So there's certainly the horror of, hey, this monster is trying to kill me and I've got to protect my family. But there's a horror of, oh my gosh, my family is becoming the monster. Yes. Yeah. And so it's still very horrific. Uh, And I think this film is going to resonate much more with parents than it would with younger people. I I think... Mm-hmm. I think 18, 19, 20-year-olds uh, would fall asleep. 
frankly. Yeah, it'll probably be a snooze fest for a lot of people. I mean, unless you're really into character and story and like the 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 emotional heart of a flick. Yeah, but see, I agree with everything you're saying, Kyle, but but there so I think we there needs to be some sort of distinction because honestly, and I'll put this out there, I have had family members who have um died long, slow, awful deaths from cancer, for example. So you know, it's not like I'm just speaking out of nowhere, but honestly, this is this could be pretty much the same film, very similar. I mean, I know it's not exactly the same, but then if you know, if she had cancer and if they were just really right showing us, putting our face in it and showing right. us, it would still be the same kind of horror, quote unquote, as you're describing. I don't think it's. Horror, as in like monster horror per se. Do you know what I no. mean? Yeah, I do, and and I think some semantics will help us. Um, I would call this film horrific, but maybe not horror. Okay, because the the idea of a family member dying a, a slow, painful death and not being able to do anything about it—that's pretty horrific. Yeah, you know, that's every parent's worst nightmare. Uh, so it is trafficking in anxieties and fears and 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 nightmares. But it's not really what we've come to call the horror genre. Right. And the, the, the monsters, while monstrous, uh, are monstrous in more of a tragic sense. Mm-hmm, definitely. Than in a threatening <clears throat> sense. Yeah, and just to kind of, you know, table the Maggie thing for a second and set it aside. So what is your opinion on this shift that we're seeing, Kyle, where we've got we've – got so-called horror movies they're intended to be so but there are just small monster elements or horror elements kind of inserted into what is otherwise a a romance or a drama or something else oh yeah what what is happening with this (laughs) well part of it's a horror crossover part of it is that you know most most ages of horror film popularity don't last more than about a decade. Uh, you know, I've talked about this before on the show. The 30s were big. The 70s were big. The the aughts have been big. But I think we're seeing, a, uh, we're going to just see a natural recession from like golden age horror. And we're going to start seeing horror elements crop up in other genres as the, the horror film once again kind of goes back to the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, but people still need fierce. People still need emotional range, and so yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see horror still present, but it's not going to be as easily compartmentalized or identified. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. So for American films, then, just speaking, I, I realize there are other countries out there. <laughs> there are, <laughs> and, but, and I'm so ethnocentric all the time. And uh, forgive me, listeners. Well, the the, inter- the international horror film market it generally tracks that of the u.s market okay just because the the american power of of distribution and you know what movies are made and what movies are seen uh because because the the cycles of horror in other countries kind of match up with that especially in the 70s right i mean that that's when italy was at its peak uh was the same time america was at its peak yeah but they do have their own kind of currents and their own ebbs and flows but the American film industry still dominates pretty much everybody's market except India. So, so put another way, then do you do you think that we're just basically um, 
uh, for lack of a better expression, forgetting about 9-11 or, or we're far enough from it that we don't feel this, this um, intense fear like we did because we're, we, we've got so much distance now on that, like 14 yeah. years. Well, it's the, it's the market share audience. Um, most money is going to be made on films by 15 to 25 year olds and they're too young. Uh, 9-11 was something that happened on the TV when they were kids. Yeah. Uh, so they're not dealing with the anxiety that you and I and our generation did. Um, to them, it's something that happened and is over. Right. And so they're, they're looking at different fears and anxieties and so if, if history is any indicator, we're going to start seeing more parodies and comedies and romances um, because that's, that's the cycle until, unless, unless something else happens. Yeah, until the next big awful war or awful terrorist strike, heaven forbid, right? And then, and then you think horror will kind of come back again. Yeah, well, I mean, we, and I haven't tracked this out, but you kind of have war and then you have horror and then you have war movies. And then you kind of come out on the other side. And we're starting to see that a lot of films that take place in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, you know, we're, it's okay to do a movie like um, San Andreas now. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, for, for years we didn't want to see buildings blow up or fall over. Clearly we're over that now. Uh, it doesn't bother us anymore. So I think we're shifting. I think, And I think Maggie is showing... Um, a, a pretty enterprising attempt to keep the zombie relevant while adapting to a different zeitgeist, a different mm. commercial desire. It's like, no, we can we can still tell zombie stories, but what you're worried about now is family dynamics and how do you talk to a rebellious teenager and what's it like to deal with a, an illness. I mean, these are more of the concerns that I think people have today than they did 10 years ago. Yeah, I agree with you. What about this, Kyle? Would you say, would you call this one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's better performances? I would. I really would. (laughs) Me Um, too. It's an odd casting choice. Yes. Because, um, although on the one hand, it kind of makes sense. Okay, he's this immigrant farmer because he still has never lost that Austrian accent. Correct. (laughs) Um, So he's kind of like this immigrant farmer who apparently works really hard on the farm because he's huge. Right. <laughs> I don't know a lot of, you know, 65-year-old farmers who look like he does. Uh, but I, but they, don't but, put him, they don't put him in a tank top. They don't really no, no. show off his biceps. He's and just I, And I agree with that. He's not, you know, hulking around as Tommy Gunn or anything. He's <laughs> acting in this. His body isn't acting. He's acting. Right. Um, he's using his face, actually. He's, he's using effective close-ups. Mm-hmm. He's emoting. He's, he's using dialogue effectively. So, yeah, I do agree. I think this is one of his better performances. Uh, and it's interesting. This is a $4 million film. Uh, you know, that's usually a fraction of his salary, yeah. So this is clearly a piece that he cared about, that he wanted to try out. He wanted to do something different. It's just unfortunate because, like we said at the top of the show, you say Schwarzenegger plus zombie, and oh, everyone's right. going to go in an entirely different direction than this film goes. Oh yeah, yeah. I did. I tr- I think he does a great job as the dad. It's 
it's a little distracting that he's old enough to be her grandfather. <laughs> uh, but that, you know, that's a whole other thing. Sure. But for the most part, I bought it because, you know, he, he was married. He had, he, he married late. He had a kid and then he marries, he has to remarry a younger woman. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of works. It kind of makes sense. It does. But I, I do think the acting is really good. Well, Which is not necessarily something you see in a zombie movie. And I'll tell you what buoyed it up for me as well, because I did recently just see San Andreas, which stars uh, Dwayne Johnson. As, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he did a fine job in that movie as far as that goes. I mean, pretty much what you'd expect from that movie. I actually enjoyed it and he did a fine job. But compared to this performance by Schwarzenegger, you know, this is even more nuanced and they basically play the same guy more or less, except this Schwarzenegger farmer character is a lot more credible to me. And he's a super sweet guy. Like he's like the sweetest, lovable guy, just full of integrity. And you just yeah. love this character. I love him a hundred percent, but I buy him as a real person. Whereas, um, the Rock's character in San Andreas, he was he was such a superhero and such a Boy Scout, he right. didn't seem realistic. No, and, and this guy, Wade, is is flawed. Um, he's making bad choices. He's just trying to do what's best. Uh, he's he's very empathetic. He he makes tough choices and regrets them. I mean, it's it's all very, very quiet, but it's very relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and again, that's why this is like you said. This is a drama. This is a family drama more than it is anything else. And it's a character study. It's really just about a father and daughter, right. and trying to reconcile some issues that they've had throughout their life. To me, the scene that stands out, and you know, this is me starting to sentimentalize as a father myself, is the scene where he's working on the truck and she's just talking with him, and they're talking about her mom. Yeah, about the truck. And it's just like at that moment, if you'd walked in on it, you would never in a million years think it was a zombie movie. <laughs> yeah, that was but it, one of my it favorite scenes hard. too. Yeah, it was real hard. I, I totally felt it. And maybe it's because I'm a dad as well. But man, I, I totally felt that scene. And I thought they nailed it for sure. It was a great scene. Yeah. But I will also say the horror is there on some levels. The disease she has is really gross. Uh, her infection as it spreads is disturbing and it's upsetting. Uh, it is kind of scientifically plausible, which I like. Mm-hmm. There were some scary moments. They were mostly jump scares or they were like gross out moments. But yeah, it's 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 daddy-daughter stuff, which is, you know, who doesn't love that? Right in time for Father's Day, everybody. I mean, this is a great Father's Day film. <laughs> Fathers, watch Maggie with your daughters That's while there's still time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they got to put that on the front of the DVD case. Uh, the Kyle Bishop quote there. That's, that's hilarious. That's my recommendation. <laughs> um, but but here's another reason I'm surprised that it's it's success. Okay. So John Scott wrote this thing. Um, John Scott the Third. Okay. Uh, you know what else he's written? What? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> so this is somebody's very first screenplay. Henry Hobson directs. I think he did a good job. Did you enjoy Henry Hobson's direction? Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. This is a title sequence designer. This is his first film. This is his first movie. 
but he's done great title sequences on some pretty big name films. Uh, and so this is a guy who knows the ropes and has worked on it. But what I love about him most, and I had to look this up, this is the dude that designed and directed the title sequence for the first season of The Walking Dead. Oh, which is super effective and super tonal. And if you remember, because I'm, you know, this is my job. Right. The title sequence for the first season of The Walking Dead has no zombies in it. (laughs) (laughs) There are zero zombies in the title sequence. It's all about really effective images, focus on the family, creating a tonality. I mean, that's what this dude does. He also did the title sequence for The Last of Us. Which is a video game about what? A father figure trying to protect a daughter. Oh, cool. Okay, so there's some explanation for why this film is the way it's the way it is. Yeah, uh, and and it really does kind of fit into this guy's uh, directorial history. Sure, and but it, he ends up doing a fantastic job on a feature film. Yes, he does. Absolutely, I'm totally impressed with his work and. And by the way, speaking of The Walking Dead, the, did, did you know, I mean, of course, Walking Dead has a Maggie character as well. Yes, so exactly. That almost has come to to be a zombie apocalypse name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and Hobson's work on The Walking Dead you know, proves that this wasn't accidental. Right. I mean, even if John Scott had no idea, Hobson would have said, we can't call it Maggie. Right. I mean, he's going, right, yeah, Maggie, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because Maggie lives on the farm. She lives at the big white farmhouse. That's right. I mean, it's the same character. (laughs) It's just what might have happened if it had happened another She's got a dad and a stepmom. Her mom's dead. Oh, my gosh, the parallels. Yes, they're crazy. There are too many for it to be coincidental or accidental. So, okay, a very bizarre thing. Did you notice... And I don't know if this was shooting schedule stuff or what the heck happened, but Arnold Schwarzenegger disappears from the film for like 20 minutes at least. It's a long time. It feels like at least 20 minutes. I don't think it's 20 minutes, but he does disappear for a while. So Maggie can have her moments with her stepmom and with the boys and with her friends. Yeah. Her friends. Yeah, that's possible that they had to do some work in his absence. But I also think it's good because it shows us Maggie is more than just Wade's daughter. Right. Um, And I think the the little awkward love affair is a cute side story. Um, Yeah. But yeah, because it's it's apropos for the genre that this film really is in. Sure. Teen angst, family drama, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you could could call it. And in, not it's not primarily this. This is a very small, small little subplot, but like an infected love story. <laughs> right. It's it's a it's a plausible warm bodies. Y- yes, it is exactly. Yeah, because of course they, you know, I was thinking about warm bodies the whole time when I was watching this. Um, wh- something that was very effective, and then we'll be moving into spoilers here very soon. Something that really kind of impressed me a lot was when she's getting very close to turning um we get a sequence that's given to us in subjective point of view and subjective hearing and we we kind of see how she sees and hear how she hears and i loved that kyle because it, it it actually illustrated to me it showed me 
how once you start turning, how you wouldn't pick up on your family members pleading, you know, you wouldn't register them. Because I always yeah. thought, I, I'm pretty sure I'd be in there somewhere and you could still, you know, when they when they plead, you know. But no, the way that happened, it convinced me once and for all, nope, when you when you start to turn, you're gone. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's such a, you know, people have been trying to figure out how do you tell a zombie story from the zombie's perspective. This film does it. Yeah. Because it focuses on the transformation. Uh, and so that's why I had no problem with it whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so what we'll do here, um, let's rate it right now because... Um, because that way, if people want to see it or take our recommendations, they don't have to be spoiled. Because what I'll do, listeners, in a minute we'll give the spoiler warning. And then I'll put some music after this so you can fast forward in the podcast if you don't want to hear the spoilers. But i got to talk about this ending with Kyle. <laughs> so, um, so everybody, look, before we do the spoilers, let's give our final thoughts and ratings. And Kyle, what do you say? All right. So Maggie is the art house zombie film. It's quiet. It's really well shot. There's some nice composition. Um, it is Schwarzenegger doing Lear, <laughs> basically. Uh, it's good, well acted. But it's as a zombie film goes, it's challenging. It's not what you expect. It defies audience expectation. It would frustrate some fans. I will admit that openly. Um, I'm going to give it a 7.5. <laughs> Because I think it has flaws. Yeah. Uh, I've tried to be very positive and optimistic in my review, but but I think seven five is a pretty accurate assessment from my perspective. And uh, God, you know, if if this is your thing, you're going to want to own it. But I think zombie fans are going to want to rent it first. So I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> have to go with rent it. That is amazing because I have I have this written down already. For me, it's a 7.5 as well. And I said, yeah. rental. I said exactly what you said. I really appreciate and admire this film. My my two biggest gripes are the ending, which we'll talk about in a minute. I mean, that's a huge gripe for me. It, it really like kind of floored me. And then the other gripe is something that's really a false note in this movie is how people aren't as nervous about the infected as I think that they would be or should be. Because if you remember... I mean, I remember the 80s, and I remember when AIDS started becoming this very oh, troublesome, yeah. scary thing. I remember, Kyle, people were worried about using public restrooms and catching AIDS from, like, toilet seats and stuff. Right. So, and that was real life. And and so, if this were happening, I think people would be a lot more skittish and a lot more nervous about people who are infected as than they are in this film. It's a big yeah, flaw. It's it's sentimentalized. Definitely. Yeah. So that that's a problem. And I mean, otherwise, and, and if they had ended it like, like in a way that pleased me, <laughs> then, then it would have been much, much higher. But yeah, is it a horror film? Not really. It's a drama with some zombie elements. 7.5 rental. So at this point, let's go into our full-blown spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, just fast forward until you hear some music that will play. Scientists are now suggesting that an elevated sense of smell is the telltale sign of what's being referred to as the turn. 
Here we are in spoilers, Kyle. I cannot believe. Okay, there are only so many options for ending this movie. It was inevitable. And they copped out all of it. <laughs> they <laughs> they copped out all of it. it well, yeah. they. But isn't that the thing? They say there's three options, and then they come up with a fourth. Oh, that bugged me so bad. It kind of didn't impress you. It ruined it a little bit for me, to be honest. I'm like, man, this thing is already warm and fuzzy and holding hands enough. This is a bleak film and it, it needs to end. It needs to come to its inevitable right. conclusion. You wanted Wade to shoot her. Or. Or you wanted her to eat her dad. Yeah. Inevitable. I mean, <laughs> it was, it ha- it has to be, I mean, there is no happy ending to this story, right? I mean, it's. It's freaking sad. I mean, if I, if I could have picked any way that it ends, I would have just had him shoot her and and end with him weeping with his head in his hands. I think that would have been a... a wow. A, I mean, because that's what it would be, though. That's what yeah, you'd have to do. You'd have to take... Because I wouldn't leave my kid to walk around and just eat people because you don't know what they're well, experiencing. you are correct. But... <laughs> Wade's character clearly makes a conscious choice at some point in the film that he's not going to kill her. So the way I read Wade's decision is Wade decides, I can't kill my daughter. I'm not going to shoot her because he has opportunity and he has reason to. And she wants him to. Um, I actually, I was a little bit with you. uh, And this is kind of tainted by The Walking Dead. When they're out looking at, at her mom's garden and there's all the daisies planted perfect i thought he was going to put her down right there because she says just kill me basically she doesn't say that but put me out of my misery you've got to do it you've got to do it and he refuses so then we get the scene where he's in the chair and he's ostensibly asleep but he's we realize he's not and i think he's decided i'm not going to kill her i'm going to let her kill me maybe we can be together that way maybe i can join her whatever it is so i i would have been fine with her killing her at the daisies like you said i'm not sure how i would have reacted if the film had ended with her eating him right (laughs) but i do not hate the way it ended (laughs) like it's so artistic and lovely that she climbs up onto her roof that's probably not tall enough to actually do her in if she jumps <laughs> and it, you're like you're like batman now yeah i mean that really oh, it really bugs me but okay i actually had a totally different reading of that scene kyle okay how'd you read it yeah we're gonna wrestle here i think so the the night before like do you remember when he was in bed and then like she came in and was like looking at him or whatever and then the next time he sleeps sitting up in the chair. He's still got his rifle there, by the way, right? That's true. That's and, true. And I think I read the fact that he remained asleep while she was sniffing him and then ended up kissing him on the forehead. I think that that was supposed to be a, a symbolic that he could sleep with a clear conscience because he didn't mm-hmm. take out his own kid and, and blow. He was trying to do everything he possibly could to give her, um, you know, a good final days and so forth. And I think that it was kind of unrealistic, the fact that she didn't bite him, but, you know, that she kissed him, I guess that was kind of nice. And and I just think he was sleeping like a baby because his conscience was clear. And that was pretty moving to me. So that, well, that's so, how I read that. Well, so it depends. Is he asleep or not? That's the question. Yeah, I think he was. 
And, and if he is asleep, then I think you're right. I think if he's asleep, then it means he's at peace and he's come to terms with everything. I think if he's not asleep, if he knows she's there, then he's made a choice that he's going to let her win. Yeah. And see, that doesn't make sense to me, though, because he's still got that that wife and the two little kids. You know, presumably he must love those children, too. Which by the, you'd hope so. Which, by the way, that was another huge complaint of mine when I saw that he brought home an infected daughter to two smaller kids in the house. I'm like, oh, this movie is rock and roll. Like they're gonna give us some horror in this movie. You know, I was super excited and I felt really um. And then know. the kids leave. Yeah, and I'm like, cop out, a huge cop out. That was cop out number one. And the fact that they t- they removed the stepmother out of there, Kyle, that also made me nuts because even though she loved her and so forth, it's like, yeah, but I got my own two little kids here. So that conflict of worrying about her was awesome. And then they took that away. And then they took away the ending. So I was really ticked off by the end of this film. I, I, I get that. I think by the end of the film, the way the film was made, the way it was rolling, the, the arty nature of it, like you said, touchy-feely, I think it ended the right way for the tone that the film was to that point. I think him killing her, her killing him, I think it would have, it would have done a, a left hook, and it wouldn't have had the same tonality. Mm. So I'm okay with it. What I really liked about it is here's a movie that is, I mentioned this before, it really is the transformation. It begins with her being infected and it ends with her dying. Yeah. So so we don't get her pre-infection and we don't get her post-infection. We just get that transformation. Now, here's why I'm upset. Because okay. I am upset. Tell it. Early buzz on this film, early press on this film that made me really excited was it was going to be a road trip movie. Uh, and, and I don't know if that was the original script or if it was just misreported, but the idea was that Schwarzenegger was driving across the country with his daughter who was infected, trying to get her to the location where they would find where they had the cure. And so it was much, had much more in common with the last of us than it did the film that ended up being made. Mm. So I haven't been able to do enough research to figure out if that was an early script or if that was the original pitch or if that was the idea. Uh, Cause I kept waiting through this film for someone to do something proactive and no one does anything. Mm-mm. They just sit around. Yeah. It's hopeless <laughs> for 90 minutes. They just <laughs> sit there. And at the 60 minute mark, I thought, Oh my gosh, nothing's going to happen. They aren't going anywhere. They're just going to stay at home until she turns. And then we have one of these three choices, which is why the fourth choice was actually cool to me because it was the only thing in the film that wasn't spelled out from the very, very beginning. Well, yes, but if she would have at least done herself in in a way that I think would have been credible. So you just hate that she jumped off the roof. I know. It's like, yeah, that probably isn't going to kill you. If you go, if you dive off a, a roof, it's going to kill you. If you go head first, you're not, you're not surviving that. <laughs> you jump off a 10 foot, you go 10 feet down on your head. It's over. Come well, on. Well, well, I, I guess, but like, I'm just like, that is weak. 
you know, I, but I could see why. I mean, it just felt like they were being flowery about it. Well, they were. They yeah. were. I mean, they're, it's it's the tone. It's the tone that, that these guys chose for the film. And I think for better or worse, they're true to it from the opening title to the final sequence. I got you. Okay. But I think, I think if people aren't going to like that, they're really not going to like it. Uh, if you don't like the first 10 minutes of this movie, you're not going to like the last 10 minutes. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, it, it doesn't get better. It doesn't change. <laughs> Nothing happens. I will admit now that we're at the, uh, that some people have fast forwarded through this. I may have fallen asleep during the middle of it. <laughs> oh, <but> really? <laughs> very briefly. Wow. So I thought nothing is happening. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a, uh, yeah, you definitely want to watch this if you're wide awake and alert and stuff as I did. Cause yeah, otherwise I probably would have slept through it too a little bit, but yeah, I watched it all, and I, I I did appreciate it. If he would have just stuck to the ending, I would have been very happy. I'd have given this a lot higher rating. But, anyways, well, um, there you go. <laughs> so did did we talk? Did we cover Maggie? Do you feel? Yep. Okay. Good. All right. So that's our uh, discussion of Maggie with the spoiler section. And right now, I'm going to play some crazy music for people to bring them back in. Just one quick post-production note real quick. I forgot to mention that the soundtrack to Maggie, and I'm talking specifically about the film's score, is phenomenal. It's astounding. It's just beautifully haunting, sad, creepy, unsettling music. And that's actually what you just heard right here, what finished, and I've been playing it throughout the podcast thus far. But I have not seen the score available yet on Amazon, but I could count on one hand, the number of soundtracks that I've purchased. And I'm telling you, if I see the Maggie soundtrack, I'm going to buy it because it's incredible. It's a 10 out of 10 as far as soundtracks go, from what I could tell. Because listening to this score with this film is just unbelievable. Kyle, take it away with the state of the zombie address. All right, so it's 2015. Uh, according to me, mostly, but I think a lot of scholars agree with me, this, this so-called zombie renaissance started in 2002, primarily with uh, 28 Days Later, which is contested. Uh, that's come up on tonight's show. And with uh, Resident Evil. So from 2002 on, well, that's when we started seeing more zombie narratives, more films were getting greenlit. It kind of hit a little bit of a zenith in 2005. Uh, that's when Land of the Dead came out, so Romero got back into it. Uh, but the, also the Dawn of the Dead remake came out, the Resident Evil sequel. And, and then we started getting um, books, which is really unusual. Most genres begin in books and then move to movies. Zombies went the other direction. Uh, we started seeing more mainstream video games. And then finally, this is the zombie broke onto television around uh, you know, 2010, Walking Dead. And, and so here we are you know, 12, 13 years later, and people uh, still like to ask me and, and talk to me and say, well, where are we now? 
what's going on? So I have written a book to answer that question, <laughs> but I want to do a little preview here uh, with which what I'm calling the state of the zombie. So my book came out in 2010, my first book, American Zombie Gothic. Yes. And I made some predictions at the end of that book, which I think I did pretty well with. But uh, one of the predictions I had was that the future of the zombie narrative needed to be in a long arc format uh, through comics or television shows. And I used The Walking Dead as, as an example. So I'm very pleased that I was correct. Uh, I was surprised, though. The Walking Dead surpassed my and everyone else's expectations of success, uh, really crossed over in ways that I don't think anybody saw coming. But I predicted that the zombie would wane, that uh, most of what needed to be done or could be done with the character had passed on because the zombie is relatively simple. It's, it's not a right. terribly complex monster. So I had, uh, I had done this little thing of maybe the werewolf is going to make a, make a chance. Uh, it has tried, by the way, little tangent. We've seen more werewolves on TV. We've seen some werewolf movies. They remade the wolf man. Um, but the wolf werewolf cannot get any traction by itself. Mm -mm. The werewolf only succeeds when it's paired with vampires. Uh, and we have not really seen a werewolf zombie crossover, which is just begging to happen. <laughs> and I can't believe nobody has touched uh, zombie werewolf. Uh, but as far as I know, nobody has. Now, I'm sure there's some self-published novel that is doing it, uh, but it hasn't gone mainstream. So, brings us back to the question, where are we now? Where are we today? So, I've been working on a book for the last few years, and it's basically a collection of lectures that I've given at conferences and events as people have asked me to come and talk about the zombie and kind of talk about where we are and what's going on. Here's the, here's the first point. Um, whereas the zombie was really marginal, even in 2005, it was kind of very specialized. And a zombie story was a certain kind of story, mostly following Romero's lead. The zombie has now become an element that can be part of any existing genre. So we're not really talking about a zombie narrative anymore. We're talking about a horror movie with zombies or a science fiction film with zombies or a love story with zombies or a murder mystery with zombies. Uh, at, at one point, I joke that <clears throat> it's, we're in an era of just add zombies. <laughs> Take whatever you got and make a character a zombie, and now you got something that's going to be popular. Well, Maggie Give is me. a perfect example okay. of this, right? We just talked about it. Yes. Daughter dying of a terminal disease, make it a zombie film, super successful. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Oh. But uh, iZombie, which is on television now, I call it CSI Zombie because <laughs> uh, that's basically what it is. It's a crime procedural drama based on a very established formula. But let's make her a zombie. We'll just ignore all the other implications of that decision, uh, but we're going to go that route. So we're seeing a proliferation of the zombie trope and the zombie character that is transcending the genre and is becoming more of an element uh, that is part of other genres. Mm. So that that's part of it. That's part of the state of where we're at. So what, what caused that transition from it being a zombie narrative to being just at zombies? Well, I'll give you my cynical answer, which is greed. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think people noticed that zombies were popular mm -hmm. and that they were successful. And so people were trying to figure out how to make their thing popular and successful. 
So they were making their thing zombie compatible. Yeah. Uh, and it was also trying to find the next thing. Because, you know, the zombie formula as Romero conceived it was pretty basic and bare bones. Zombie outbreak, survivors hole up in a fixed location, they defend themselves for a while, they eventually fail and die. I mean, I just described how many movies? Yeah, a lot. A lot. And so now people are like, no, I got to come up with something new. So we have to come up with, and of course they're not, they're just following the trajectory of the vampire. Let's make the zombie the protagonist. Let's make the zombie tell its own story. Let's have the zombie the romantic lead. Um, so it's it's this attempt to find the new thing. What is the new thing for zombies? Um, everybody wants to be the the Anne Rice of zombies. They want to be the they want to do the zombie Twilight, which of course Warm Bodies came close, uh, and I think it's a superior text yes. to Twilight. Yes. Uh, so. So it's it's part of that marketing and that greed and let's figure out how we can take advantage of this and let's try to make money off of this and, and let's let's capitalize on the zombie while the zombie's popular. That's not all that's happening though, because there are fans and there are hardcore people and they're diehards who are making the traditional narratives, like The Walking Dead, which for the most part is very much a Romero style narrative. Um, so we kind of have the two trajectories acting in Congress, but we're going to see, I think this is a prediction. Uh, we're going to see the zombie esque start to become more successful than the true zombie because people are going to want to see something new, something different, something original. And as that continues to mutate, the essence of zombiness is going to be further and further betrayed until we're actually not dealing with zombies anymore at all. Uh, we're dealing with revenants of some kind or some new variation or some kind of vampire hybrid, but it's going to move on down in a different direction. I hate and that. I do too, but I think the zombie narratives will still exist, but they'll go back to the margins uh, where they were for 100 years. And so people like you and I will watch them and talk about them, but I don't think Hollywood will care anymore. Hmm. And I think Maggie is a perfect example of this because it shows both hey, let's tell a zombie story that's not a normal zombie story and we'll do it big, well, not big budget, but we'll do it with a studio and with big names and then it fails. Uh, so I think I think we're going to see a little bit of a shift from that. Let's see, what, what bugs me though, Kyle, is that the reason that Maggie will probably fail is because they didn't give you a hardcore zombie flick where zombies are getting killed. Right. And, and and that's that's why it fails. That that's what bugs me so much. Well, that's one of the reasons it fails. Uh and and I'll come back to that. The real to, to come full circle, the canary in the coal mine for the zombie narrative right now <laughs> is the Walking Dead spin-off series. Uh Fear the Walking Dead. If that series tanks, then um I think we're going to see the beginning of the end. Because that what that means is that Walking Dead fans are fans of that show, not of that genre. Hmm. If Fear the Walking Dead is successful, then we're going to see, okay, this thing still has legs. People are still interested. People still want these stories. People still need this type of narrative. So we're going to see where that goes. Here's the next point, and this is the key point of my book. Okay. Uh, and Maggie completely undermines it. So thanks a lot, Maggie. <laughs> 
Um, 20th century zombie films, pre-9-11 zombie films, as I've already said, are about survival. They're about holding up, defending yourself, and waiting it out unsuccessfully. Well, strangely enough, this kind of describes uh, the late 20th century American attitude to the rest of the world. Let's go home. Let's worry about ourselves. Let's not get involved. Let's defend our borders. Let's build fences, you know, that kind of thing. With the 21st century zombie film and book and video game and television series, the survivors are no longer staying put and waiting for help to come to them. They are going out and seeking solutions themselves. So this is a huge reduction of global politics and an overt generalization, but I'm sticking by it. Okay. (laughs) The zombie narratives post 9-11 are a manifestation of our geopolitical policies post 9-11, which is take the war to them. We're not going to wait until we get attacked again. We're not going to worry about some kind of Star Wars missile defense system. We're going to go blow up their missiles before they can launch them. We're not going to wait for terrorists to, to sneak through the border again. We don't need to reinforce the border security. We need to go find the terrorists and kill them. Okay? Yes. So I see that manifesting in, in the zombie narrative as well. So, Night, of the, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Stay put. It ultimately is useless. Mm-hmm. Land of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead are all about let's go find a solution. Let's go find a place that's better. Let's go see what we can find. But still, it's worthless, and you're not going to succeed, and it's worth, you're going to fail. Right. <laughs> Romero's so negative. But you think about, you think about the narr- narratives post-9-11. 28 Days Later is about them on the road. Uh Land of the Dead, although there is the the apartment complex of Fiddler Green, we learned that the real key to survival is being on the road. Shaun of the Dead is about being on the road, moving, going from place to place to place. Mm-hmm. And then the, the final act is more traditional, but it's in that narrative. Zombieland is a road trip movie. Yep. Uh, I have a whole chapter on Zombieland where I essentially compare it to Vacation. Um, <laughs> which is really easily done, which is terrifying. Nice. Uh, but it's basically vacation. It's, it's a family road trip movie. Um, the Walking Dead. Every time they try to hole up, they fail and they have to move on. So again, it's this mobile narrative. Uh, the Last of Us is all about movement. It's about going from one location to another location to another location. So I think the state of the zombie narrative is we've 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 entered into a period of movement rather than a period of static behavior this is the other reason why i think maggie fails and i mentioned it in my review because that was the thing i was most upset about Mm -hmm. Um, current contemporary viewers of zombie narratives are over the stay put and do nothing narrative they want the get out of the house and go do something go attack, get on the road, find a new place, go somewhere else. Because all the successful zombie movies of the last 10 years follow that model instead of the model established in the 20th century. Yes. So what I do in my book is I I kind of outline that argument and I use World War Z as the example. Mm -hmm. Because World War Z is is a globe-trotting zombie film. It has the most travel of any zombie narrative I can think of. Uh, where we go all over the planet trying to proactively combat this infection. Yes. 
Um, it's like the opposite of Night of the Living Dead uh, <laughs> on, on so many levels. And so, and I, so I, I talk about that in my first chapter to kind of set up that this is the narrative, and it becomes a narrative of hope rather than a narrative of despair. And so I think we're going to start seeing more hopeful zombie narratives. Again, Maggie completely undermines this argument. <laughs> Uh, but The Walking Dead is largely driven by that idea, right? Yes, it is. Yes. Hope. We've got to hope for something else. We've got to believe that we can survive, that we can change, that we can turn things around. Because otherwise, you get zombie narratives that are going to end in suicide, which is pretty common in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. 21st century, a very different shift. Very more, Much more optimistic, much more proactive, um, much more patriotic honestly yeah well did you see have you seen the battery yet jeremy gardner's film oh no i have not okay this is definitely one this this really supports your book i think because um your premise there because in the battery they're moving around but but not just that they're not only moving around but they're also kind of hopeful and they're they're kind of getting back to to their lives like living their lives even though things are still seriously screwed up and they're all and they don't have a normal life because they're you know always traveling and moving but they still kind of act like they used to so uh josh and i really appreciate that film a lot of people call it a snooze fest in the horror genre but like i i i think it's cool and i think it's definitely one that you'd enjoy kyle well but yeah you're right i mean that falls in line with what i'm talking about mm-hmm so I talk about World War Z as a film. I talk about Zombieland as a comedy, because like I already said, Zombieland is about movement. Um, and then I look at, because this is kind of the trajectory of most genres. Um, Jeffrey Cohen talks about this, and he has a great essay on, on the state of the zombie. Uh, you're going to see a horror film directed to adults that's scary. Then you're going to see that genre become comedic. And then you're going to see it marketed towards children. And we've seen that over and over and over again. And we've seen that with zombies, especially now how zombies have gone pretty mainstream with the youth culture. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I spend a chapter where I actually look at a young adult novel uh, and I look at um, The Forest of Hands and Teeth um, by Ryan. I can't remember her first name. And I think it's a great novel. I, it's my favorite zombie book. But again, the whole narrative is about we need to move. We're not safe if we stay put. We need to go somewhere else. We need to get through this jungle, this forest. We need to end up out on the other side. Um, with video games, I look at The Last of Us, which, as I've said, is about movement. It's about getting from one place to the other. And um, the that's kind of the main trajectory that I see the narrative heading is this optimism. Now we're still going to get some of the other ones, but they're going to be more, more pessimistic and more negative because the other great zombie book that's out there is zone one. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with this book? I'm not. I'm sad to say. I would highly recommend you read it. Okay. Um, it's considered by most to be the only literary zombie novel in existence. Uh, it's, it's, it's literature. It's not so much horror uh, as it is a real kind of allegorical examination of post 9-11 New York. But it's really fascinating, and the descriptions and depictions of the zombies are really cool. 
but it's about the futility of staying put. And I think it's a really good criticism of not moving on with your life under new circumstances, but trying to continue on with your life as if nothing had changed. Yeah. And then similarly, I talk about um, Dead Snow, where I'm mostly making an argument that it's not a zombie movie. Um, but for all intents and purposes, it falls under the parameters of the genre. But that's another film where the moral of the story is don't stay put. Um, <laughs> yes. And the problem that they have is they try to get out too late and they screw things up and there's a whole mummy side plot thing. But but anyway, I'm pretty proud of that chapter. So cool. I, I recommend my uh, my uh, Dead Snow chapter. So anyway, those are the, the kind of things that I'm trying to do in this next book is, is not look at the whole cultural history and figure out where the zombie came from or why it's relevant. I feel like I've made that argument. Mm-hmm. This new book is let's look at manifestations of the zombie today and try to figure out what it means to us now as it's now become more than just horror movies. So that's why I look at uh, comedy film, young adult narrative, television, um, uh, I, I talk about, oh, I'm blanking out on it, the, the British miniseries where the zombie outbreak hits the Big Brother house. Dead Set. Dead I look Set. At, I do look at Dead Set, which again is, is showing the futility of staying put. Um, I look at literature. I look at foreign films. I look at romance. I do have a chapter on warm bodies, which I'm also pretty proud of. Yeah. I, evis- I eviscerate it, by the way. Oh, really? I, and yeah. I thought you were fond of that film. I am fond of it because it's so much fun to rip it apart. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's a well-made film, too. Yeah. Well, what uh, what about the, the foreign zombie flicks, then? What can you tell us about that in case we aren't familiar? Well, here's here's my big issue with the foreign zombie films. I think a lot of foreign filmmakers are drawing upon their own cultural history, as they should, and they're trying to to bring their own um, local monsters to the screen. I think where they're failing is that they're marketing them as zombies to try to take advantage of the American audience. Oh, okay. and, and that's, I think, a flaw that can happen. Now, Dead Snow is awesome because Tommy Virkalau is doing it on purpose and he's making fun of it. Because he does not have zombies. He very clearly has Draugr, and fans of Skyrim will know what Draugr are, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of this Norwegian mummy. And the reason the the characters, the human characters, get slaughtered in that movie is they erroneously assume that they're zombies, and they try to combat them as if they were, (laughs) based on their knowledge of American film. And so Workalaw is basically saying, look, you idiots you should understand your own culture rather than simply trying to replicate American culture. So I think that film is brilliant. I think it works on so many levels. Yeah, and that's I, Dead Snow, right? That's Dead Snow, yeah. which I highly recommend. Absolutely. Um, I think Juan of the Dead also does a great job mm-hmm. uh, because Juan of the Dead, because the zombies of that film are the American-style zombies, it becomes a great metaphor for the Americanization of Cuba. Yes, and it becomes a real patriotic, anti-American Cuban film. <laughs> so I think that's quite brilliant. And, um, and for listeners who who didn't know, or they, if you're new to joining us here, um, we actually covered that, right? I mean, we we covered yeah. that pretty recently. 
That's was, in that's in the catalog. That it is. It's in it's in our back catalog. So anyway, I was looking for it, but sorry, Kyle, go ahead. I'll stop interrupting. Now, other zombie films are cropping up though, where I don't I, I wish people would take more advantage of their own culture because uh, you know, China has this great legend of of the uh the hopping corpse, the kind of the the vampire zombie, this kind of Asian thing that that showed up in a lot of martial arts films in the eighties and nineties. Um, India has, uh, the Rolongs, they have their version of, of a zombie like creature. Uh, I would love to see more countries doing supernatural horror with revenant monsters, but embrace what they are instead of just trying to make a like colonized copy of what we have, uh, and kind of vary the zombie that way i mean there's the original zombie from africa is a fascinating monster that isn't really what we have in the states today so i would like to see more done there um i know that there's some colleagues of mine are putting together a book of essays about international zombie films uh, because that doesn't exist right now uh and that's going to be a really great way for people to discover some of these lesser known movies and to cast some light on them. I may or may not be involved in the project depending on how busy I am, but but there's some really great stuff. Now obviously uh Italy is really did this the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, Italy took the the zombie film and fused it with the cannibal narrative and really went nuts. Um, but they're not doing it now. There's no contemporary Italian zombie films. But I'm about to read a master's thesis on Japanese zombie films, which I know very little about. Um, the French have entered into the fray a little bit, but they're not really zombies. They're exploring the idea of the revenants in the, the TV series of the same name. And the Brits. The Brits are doing great work. You know, um, I think some of the best zombie films and narratives have come out of England. 28 Days Later, uh, Shaun of the Dead. And I really liked um, the, the short-lived series that I now can't remember. Come on. Was it dead set? No, that's the other one. I couldn't remember. Sorry. Oh, I totally blacked out on it. It's the one where the zombies are in rehab. Okay. And they, they, they take a uh, medication to keep them from going feral and from attacking people and they can regain their consciousness that way. Uh, it, it only ran for two seasons and then it was pulled mm. and I can't, I'm really frustrated. I can't remember the name. I talk about it in the conclusion of my book and it's a British yeah, it's a, it's a British. It's on Netflix, but not streaming. You have to actually order the discs. Uh, in uh, the Flesh? In the Flesh. There you go. Okay. In the Flesh is fascinating. It's very clever. It's very well done. Uh, zombieism is largely a metaphor for homosexuality and the othering that we do in our communities. So there are good things happening, and there, there are interesting things that are happening. But like any other genre, unless there's some variation and an adaptation, it's going to die out. So people have got to keep up coming up with original ideas. Now, um, Z Nation, did you watch any of Z Nation TV series? No, sir. It's pretty low budget and it's pretty hokey. Um, but it's a, it's a road trip narrative. They're trying to find a cure. They've got They've got somebody who's immune to the zombie plague, so they've got to take them to the scientists to figure out how to save the human race. Um, and it's not a great series, but it does things I've never seen before. And as long as I see things I've never seen before, I'm pretty happy, which is why I gave Maggie a 7.5. Right. Because it's, it's stuff I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. But Z Nation, 
has this scene where they drive their convoy through a herd of zombies, which we've seen done before. Right. Uh, but when they get to the other side, they the they can't drive very well because their cars are full of zombie parts. Right. Which would make sense. Uh, and they've got a flat tire, so they get off and they they jack up the car and they take the tire off, and a zombie has wrapped around the axle, and is still biting and grabbing at them while they're trying to change the tire <laughs> it's the craziest thing i've seen in a long time needless to say they just abandoned the car because <laughs> oh, at that great. point i don't think there's much you can do to save it uh but z nation is exploring the idea of like a zombie human hybrid uh you know different types of zombies which zone one does as well uh which warm bodies does uh to to a somewhat successful conclusion so I think we're going to see more of that type of thing, where there's different types of zombies and different types of outbreaks and, and different levels of cognition that occur with the zombie. Um, Did that, would you say that predated um, Daybreakers from 2010, which is a vampire flick? Because that's when they, because they did some hybrid stuff in that movie. Yeah, well... Mm-hmm. Anne Rice was toying around with it back in the 70s and, and some of these ideas. And, and Underworld uh, really played with hybridity with vampires and werewolves. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's always kind of there. But the root of that, of course, is I Am Legend. Yeah. I Am Legend is the first narrative that said, hey, wait, what if there's two different kinds of vampires? Right. And, you know, nobody had come up with that idea really until until Matheson came up with it. And so now we often see narratives with two types of vampires. We're starting to see a, a common trend where there's two types of zombies. There's a higher level zombie and a lower level zombie. And I think we're going to increasingly see that. Um, I think we're going to see more and more empathy for the zombies. Again, I think Maggie does it really, really effectively. I think Warm Bodies does it very comedically. Uh, but it has lots of other flaws to it. One of the most successful films, and it's also a comedy, is this, ah, zombies. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. Which is also called Wasted Away. Uh, but it tells a story from the zombies' point of view with this ludicrous premise that zombies are simply operating on a different time speed. <laughs> Yeah. So when they try to talk to us, they sound like they're moaning, uh, but they're actually perfectly conscious. That film is surprisingly clever. Um, <laughs> I think Fido is far more effective to use a traditional zombie while still garnering some sympathy and emotional connection. But the point is, of of the state of the zombie address, <laughs> is that the zombie's doing pretty good right now. Uh, it's gone through a lot of variation, but the variations haven't replaced what came before. It's added to what came before. So we still do have Romero zombies. Uh, we still do have traditional zombie horror shows, but we're starting to see different types of zombies and crossover zombies. We're seeing zombies that uh, non-horror fans like. We see zombies that uh, more women are enjoying. We see zombies that more children are, are enjoying. We see games that are marketed to different people. Uh, so I think the zombie's doing okay. I will reiterate, watch Fear the Walking Dead and see what happens. That's going to be a huge factor in where we go next. But 
there is a very good chance that there will be four zombie television shows airing simultaneously on major networks this fall. Wow. I would have, I would have never predicted that five years ago ever. I never thought the zombie would go as mainstream as it has, which is great for me. Uh, cause hopefully I'll still get gigs and people will invite me to come talk at their events. Um, yeah. well, but we'll see. So Kyle, talk a little bit about the, Fear the Walking Dead, a spinoff series here. I, I see it premieres in August of 2015. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where they go with it. So it's a parallel series that will take us back to the beginning of the outbreak and kind of narrate what we missed with the Walking Dead because Rick was in a coma. Mm-hmm. So we're going to actually get to see more of the collapse. Uh, which normally is excised from the narratives. Normally you jump into a zombie narrative right after it's taken off uh, or after it's been in effect for a long time. I think Zack Snyder did it best at the opening of his Dawn of the Dead remake. Uh, But Fear the Walking Dead is going to theoretically explore that. They don't want to have a lot of crossover with the current series. They really want it to stand alone and kind of have its own flavor and tone. But it will operate within the same kind of mythological structure and framework and rules um and and it will be in the same universe because it's uh, allegedly just on the west coast so it's this it's the same world same narrative but a different location so it's not going to have as much um overlap as say uh, better call saul with breaking bad for example right no okay. I, it's not going to be the backstory of the characters there could conceivably be some easter eggs and some occasional shout outs which i think they'll have to do to kind of appease the fans right um but the the idea is it'll be completely standalone so that's why i'm saying if it succeeds then we really do have some momentum here for the the narrative and the creature. If it doesn't, that really means the fan base is about The Walking Dead's cast and characters and story, and it's not really about the genre or the monsters. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'm skeptical because I'm always skeptical. Yeah, same. But I'm looking forward to it. Well, that worries me because honestly – and, you know, I don't mean to be negative or anything, but I I think The Walking Dead is tremendous. And I would attribute, personally, I don't know how you feel about this, I think The Walking Dead is a big reason why we've had such a, I, I don't know, such good momentum for the love of zombie films. Because I, I think so many people, even people who weren't horror fans... I mean, they, they they got hooked on that. And so that started in, what, 2010. I mean, I know that we've yep. had your resurgence, as you've been saying. We've had that for longer. But I really think The Walking Dead was a great shot in the arm for it. No, and, you're, you're 100% correct. Mm-hmm. And this is going to sound trite, but what The Walking Dead did that no one else had done is it brought the zombie into the home. <laughs> Prior to Walking Dead, if you wanted zombies... You went out, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, I know it's not a perfect metaphor, but, but the idea is that even in the, the kind of the heydays of the zombie renaissance, these films were getting made, but they still weren't mainstream. Uh, even though, you know, 28 Days Later did well, Shaun of the Dead did well. They did well by horror film standards. They didn't do well by blockbuster standards. Walking Dead comes on the air. And it starts breaking records. It starts breaking viewership records. It becomes 
both critically acclaimed and popular. So by the time World War Z comes, you can get a Brad Pitt to star in a zombie movie. Mm -hmm. And I say this all the time because I'm still amazed by this. World War Z is not only the most financially successful zombie movie ever made, it is the most financially successful movie Brad Pitt has ever been in. <laughs> Brad Pitt is a huge superstar who's been in a lot of amazing movies, but his zombie movie is the movie that made the most money. So that made even more than like Inglorious Bastards then, for example? Yes. Wow. Off the hook. World War Z was huge and it was because it was pg-13 it came out at the first of the summer it had brad pitt in it i mean the the stars aligned but it it's you're right that movie would not have succeeded without the walking dead being on tv well i'm surprised we haven't gotten a sequel of that just yet it's it's been greenlit okay brad pitt has signed on that is the current that is the current news uh we'll see if it actually happens though I think they need to cast you in that movie, Kyle. Kind of no, they like, need to hire me as a consultant. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, because um, you would be kind of like the Paul Giamatti character in San Andreas. Oh, okay. The well, expert, you know. I could play myself. Yeah, exactly. I would love well, that, that. That would work. That would be awesome. <laughs> but anyway, that's just, um, I would love it if listeners were to, uh, to post um, comments, uh, what they think. Um, point out some texts that I've missed because there was a time when you could conceivably watch every zombie movie ever made. Now I think that's going to be pretty hard. Uh, I'm not as well versed in the comics and the novels. So if anyone wants to post recommendations, challenge some of my observations, point out some loopholes in my theories, I would hugely appreciate it. I'd love to get into a conversation. Like, like Jay said, we do have a pretty nice community in the, uh, comment section oh yeah so jump in there uh i'll also make sure that the link to the my new book is up uh it's not available yet uh but we can get try to generate some early buzz uh i'm very happy with the cover i i am more proud of my book covers than i am with my book content uh <laughs> and i have them designed by a, a good friend of mine named shannon eberhardt so both of my book covers are original works of art yes yeah, uh, that I think work pretty effectively. Absolutely. I haven't seen the new book cover, but I can't wait. And the first book cover is just incredible. Like, I, I just, I love it. I have it I right think here. It, it re it's the reason for most of my sales, I think, is that cover. Mm -hmm. Super so cool. uh, we'll get that posted and people can check it out. And, uh, you know, feel free to start sharing that information with your friends and, and get ready to buy it. It's going to come out hopefully in September. Heck yeah. uh, I'd like to see a, a moderately successful launch. It's an academic book, but for those who have read my first book, it's not quite as theory heavy. It's still theoretical and it's still analytical, but I think it's a little bit more accessible. Um, more like I am on this show. Nice. So well, we'll, see how, we'll see how it does. I'm definitely going to buy it. And, um, what we'll do, Kyle, is we'll get some, I think this would be really fun. We'll purchase, on behalf of the show, we'll purchase from you a few copies and then do like a couple of prize giveaways and stuff. Like, oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's going to be super cool. I'm really excited. So that's September and that'll be out in time for Halloween. <laughs> that's the hope. If I can get it edited and, and indexed in time. Okay. But yeah, how, we, we want it on, we want it or... We want it available for Halloween, definitely. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, we'll we'll make a big deal out of it, and 
we'll put it up on the site and stuff. Absolutely. Thanks, man. And thanks, listeners. Uh, that's super cool. Well, good. So um, one last question, and if you don't mind, I don't want to keep you on too late tonight, but I, I do wonder, and I know you've covered this um, in your first book, but I, I still don't fully understand how is it that these different cultures still come up with a very similar type of monster. Mm. It's kind of creeps me out a little bit because it's like, what are they picking up on where we get this very similar zombie creature across these different cultures? Like it's not, uh, it's not strictly an instance of just them copying each other. Right. 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 Well, the, the variations tell us a lot about a culture. And so the idea of the, of the American version of this being seeped in slavery and colonialism makes a whole lot of sense. But if we strip all the specifics of the vampire, the zombie, the revenant away, what you're dealing with is a shared human fear of things coming back from the dead. Um, and I think that that's something that would develop regardless of where your culture is or where your society grows up or how isolated you are from the rest of the world. Because the truth is that uh, human beings die. And when human beings die, we have to take care of their remains. And we're always going to be haunted by regret, by loneliness, by other types of anxieties about the dead, where somewhere in the back of our head, usually in nightmares, we're going to see those people come back. Mm. Right? You've dreamed about dead people, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there is this idea of what if they came back? What if they came back? So we're going to manifest that as, oh my gosh, what if they come back and they come back wrong? Or what if they come back angry? Or what if they come back to hurt me? Now, here's the second thing. <laughs> and this is the disturbing thing. For thousands of years, almost universally across the planet, people got buried prematurely. <laughs> oh, no. Because... You know, technology wasn't sophisticated. Medicine wasn't always accurate. So what do you do? And it doesn't matter if you're in Africa or, or Australia or Central Asia. If someone falls into a coma and you don't have the technology to differentiate between a comatose state and death, you bury them. Yikes. And so what happens is if you're a culture that buries someone in, the, in a coffin, occasionally you're going to hear people screaming from the cemetery at night. Oh my goodness. Cause someone has been, has come awake in their grave. You're going to, you're going to have people who go into tombs like the Egyptians or whatever to add another body. And they're going to find the previous burial out of the casket, uh, with the bandages in disarray, you're going to find fingernail scrapes on the back of doors or on the inside of lids. I mean, wow. this, this has happened. This happens all across the planet. So we have accounts of these kinds of things. Oh yeah. And we still do today uh, <laughs> in, in cultures that are less savvy. I mean, this, there's a reason Poe was terrified of being buried alive. He didn't just make it up. It's because it happened with enough regularity <laughs> that it started to, uh, manifest as a fear. Okay, people are coming back to life. They're not thinking we buried them prematurely. They weren't dead. They're thinking the spirits have returned to for vengeance or for some kind of vendetta or to get us. Now, does that happen universally? I don't know if there's enough evidence for that. What about cultures that burn their, their dead? 
Um, but I can imagine, you know, putting somebody on the pyre and sliding it on fire and they start thrashing around and screaming. Oh, wow. You know, that's going to very quickly develop into a mythology of returning from the grave. Yikes. Yeah. So, so there you go. <laughs> that was a tremendous answer. I'll probably have nightmares about that tonight. <laughs> well, that's the goal. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> No, I mean, they're Victorian cemeteries. You could pay extra money to have a, a bell affixed to your headstone, run down a tube into your casket, so in case you were accidentally buried alive, you could start ringing that bell. I mean, this this happened. This is documented. It's crazy, man. Wow. Truth is always crazier than fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And so that's why a lot of cultures started beheading their corpses before they buried them. Oh, that makes or, sense. Or, or staking them in the heart, which is where the vampire myth came from. Because mm -hmm. they, they didn't want to bury someone alive, so they made sure they were dead. Yeah, and with, with the vampire stuff, I mean, ha hasn't some of that come? Because if they would dig up a person, they'd need to exhume a body for whatever reason or retrieve some kind of jewelry or something. Uh -huh. Your fingernails keep growing. Yeah, and, yeah, and then your hair and your beard and and your gums recede, you know, and the mouth kind of, uh -huh. you know, and so they would look like they had fangs and long fingernails, you know, Nosferatu looking. Absolutely. Oh man, because every monster we invent comes from somewhere. Mm -hmm. We're just not creative enough to invent something out of nothing. And the monsters that have the oldest pedigree are coming back from the dead ghosts revenants vampires those are the oldest monsters and there's a reason because that's what we fear most yeah yeah absolutely we do <laughs> as would... long as we as long as we fear death and we fear the dead we'll have vampires zombies ghosts we'll have those narratives only once we started understanding human psychology did we get things like the werewolf and only once we got into technology did we start really thinking about aliens Okay, then where did H.R. Geiger's alien creations come from? Because that is some freaky creature design right there. It is. That. It's all sex, man. <laughs> That's all true. of Geiger's stuff are genitalia. Uh, yeah, as I'm looking at it right here. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty clear cut. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's drawing on some also very ancient fears of... Uh, reproduction taboos and birth defects and um, sexuality and all that kind of stuff. So Ge Geiger was hugely inventive, I agree. But again, he didn't make stuff up out of nothing. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yes. Yeah, so bit. prove me wrong, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Invent something out of nothing. Yeah. Kyle dares you. I dare you. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Well, I'm so grateful you were here tonight on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Kyle took two hours out of his night. It's getting late, and it was really cool this, of him. I turned down two phone calls from my mother. <laughs> you did. You did. And uh, so I'm going gonna, gonna to be in trouble. Big trouble for this audience. So, But I, I do have a question for you. Uh-oh. Okay, I'll do my are, best. It, uh, are we reviewing Jurassic World on this show or are you doing it on your other show? Oh, that is a great question. Well, actually, I'm I would call I would call a dinosaur hybrid on the rampage a monster and therefore would call it a horror film. 
but I will I will defer to your judgment. Oh, well, I knew. <laughs> We're actually doing the entire franchise on Movie Podcast Weekly. Um, so because we have a, a little way of doing franchises once in a while, the, the precursor show used to review sequels. and so, Right, I remember that. Yeah, so we thought we would do something along those lines. But um, I don't know, it's a PG-13 dinosaur kitty movie. I, I don't Dude, know. Dude, we just reviewed Maggie. I, I know, <laughs> I know. And I'm sure Jurassic World's going to have more horror than, than Maggie did. All right. Well, maybe we can work in a 15-minute discussion let's, of Jurassic World on another show. Let's do it. I think we should. Okay. We can do that for sure. Yeah, I'm advocating it's it's a horror movie. Okay. Well, <laughs> if, if Dr. Kyle Bishop says, then everybody, who's going to argue with him? That's right. And, <laughs> Doc, Dr. Shock will. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, so anyway, we want to thank everybody for tuning in for episode 56 of Horror Movie Podcast. And Kyle, I just want to ask, um, where can the listeners catch up with you, find more of your work, follow you on Twitter, all that stuff? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Dr. Walking Dead, Dr. Walking Dead. I, I'm a little more active in the summer. I try to do my mini film reviews and, and throw out some stuff there. Uh, I, you can check out my book if you want. Uh, if you don't want to buy it, encourage your local library to buy it and then check it out. But that's American Zombie Gothic. I have my new one coming up soon. Um, that uh, If you're in Utah, I've been recently invited to participate as a keynote speaker at a horror conference in at a UVU in October. I'll be there. If anyone listening knows anyone connected to Salt Lake Comic Con, um, I should be there, but no one's invited me yet. Okay, well, we'll have to see what we can do about that. Then I, I don't want to invite myself. <laughs> right, I could advocate for you. Yeah, that's crazy that they didn't have you up there yet. Um, I know what, it's so easy. I'd love to go up there. What's the UVU thing that you're doing in October? I'm dying. I don't know entirely. I will have more information later. I don't even have a date yet. UVU is having a horror conference, like a scholarly conference or something for their students, but it might have some events that are open to the public. My keynote address, whatever that is, will will pro- hopefully be open to the public. So for people who do happen to live in Salt Lake, Provo, Orem area of Utah, uh, maybe you could come because uh, uh, Jay and I have actually never met in person. No. We've been looking for an opportunity to share a meal at the very least so absolutely i will have more information on that event later yeah and that meal is on me kyle i owe you big time for all your guest appearances and so forth but i will be there for sure i can't wait for that i'm really excited that is my alma mater and so oh very cool yeah so even though i'm, I'm no longer a student there i still feel like i could go <laughs> we'll get you in one way or the other. That's right. Uh, I'm Jay of the Dead. Savvy. That's anyway. right. Anyways, thank you for being here, Kyle. We'll have all your information linked in the show notes there so people can catch up with you. And by the way, I just saw today, um, I approved several more comments. I, I saw that you had more comments there in the show notes. So um, anyway, people are really enjoying interacting with you too. Good. It's fun. And I'd just like to encourage people to check out my other movie podcast, which is Movie Podcast Weekly. You can hear that at moviepodcastweekly.com. It's also on iTunes. We cover new releases that are currently in theaters of all genres, not just horror. Also, make sure you check out my buddies, Dr. Shock. He's at dvdinfatuation.com. He also has a Twitter, 
at DVD Infatuation. And of course, that is his site where he reviews a movie a day, every single day, for time immemorial, or whatever that expression is. <laughs> and then we have um, Dr. Shock is also on Land of the Creeps, which is an awesome horror podcast with our buddies Greg Mortis and Haddonfield Hatchet. We also have Wolfman Josh, who is on Twitter at Icarus Arts. He is also on Movie Streamcast, which is a great little like 10 to 20 minute show where he reviews all genres of movies, of things that are streaming online. Also, Josh is on the Sci-Fi Podcast. If you like the format to this show and you dig sci-fi movies, you'll love the Sci-Fi Podcast. Check them out over there. One last thing I just want to remind people again check out my guest appearance on Bill Shetty's show, Horror on the Go. It's the June 1st, 2015 episode where we discuss horror genre classification. It's a quick listen. It's like 35 minutes, and it's pretty funny. It's funny to me because I have a blast podcasting with Bill Shetty as well. And we love your comments, so I encourage you to keep those coming at horrormoviepodcast.com. You can also email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. And you can find all of our back episodes, all 56 episodes of Horror Movie Podcast, as well as the weekly Horror Movie Podcast, our first incarnation, and Horror Metropolis, our second incarnation, and then all of this show at horrormoviepodcast.com. By the way... The t-shirts are ever closer. I'm still getting straggler cities from people. Um, I I submitted the cities list to my uh, shirt guy, but I'll tell you what's happening. He hasn't sent me the very final design. So as I see stragglers, I, I hurry and email them over to him in hopes that they'll make the shirt. So people who are still submitting cities i can't guarantee your city's gonna be on there and i apologize if it doesn't make it in time but um there will be future horror movie podcast t-shirts and i like doing the cities thing so we'll get you on a future shirt as well you can subscribe to our show free in itunes and you can follow us on twitter at horror movie cast i want to thank fred ingram for the use of his music for horror movie podcast theme song you can find more of fred's music at frederickingram.com I'll have it linked in the show notes and I think that's it for episode 56 we thank you for listening and you can join us again next Friday for Horror Movie Podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies